You're listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. For someone to explain. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Welcome to episode number six of the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. I'm joined by Tom Farrow, who is a performance coach and rugby combat consultant. He's also the owner of Arite Performance, a, a sports performance and personal training company based in London. Uh, Tom's worked with WASP RFC, RFC for the past three years as a S&C coach, both with the senior team and more recently with the academy. Uh, he's also consulted as a combat co- coach where he applies wrestling techniques to rugby for teams such as WASP, England Sevens and England Women's Rugby, as well as various other clubs and schools. He's re- recently taken a position with Speedworks as a performance coach. Uh, and has also been appointed uh, the UK Director of an International Strength and Conditioning Institute, uh, which is doing educational association that pro- it's an educational association that promotes sensible evidence-based sport training methodology and bridges the gap between science and practice. So really to happy, really happy to have you on the show, Tom, and welcome. Thank you, mate. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, so what's it? You got, got a lot going on by the sounds yeah. of the introduction. Um, What's what's your backstory uh, over the last few years to 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 get to you where you where you are now? Um, so quite a long long road is that I sort of I left school early and I I doing the job I started uh, working as a quantity surveyor in the city and um, and so I did that for a year and sort of quite quickly realised into that year that I, you know I didn't like it and it wasn't really for me um, and I sort of. Uh, at that point, I had no idea what strength and conditioning was. Um, all I knew was that I liked training a lot, um, and I sort of wanted to get into something around that. And I actually went to a uh, a training day at Wasps with uh, Josh Lucy, and I think it was a maxi muscle competition. And um, while we were doing the training, this guy's out with Josh Lucy, and it turns out he was the strength and conditioning coach for Wasps. Well, I think maybe the intern strength right. and conditioning coach for Wasps at the time. So I thought, well, that's pretty cool. He gets to, you know, basically lived the life of a professional rugby player without all the glory but you know still it's still not sitting in an office and it looks yeah. like pretty good fun um so then I sort of set my sights on that and then I it was like a long road getting back to university um went to a couple of different ones eventually settled at St Mary's University and um on the strength and conditioning science degree yeah. um and then graduated from there and was lucky enough to get an internship with WASPs and then sort of just uh, went up the ranks really from intern to junior to senior and then um, when I left the seniors, uh, Ian Taplin who's head of performance uh, in the academy asked me to take on the under 18s, uh, SNC for the under 18s. I was already doing some combat work with the academy anyway right. um, so I took that on as like a, a part-time role really and then I finished that in July this year. Okay, great. Well, that's, that's, that's great because I'm the, the focus of the show that we, we discussed coming in was like um, S&C for, for pre-adolescents and adolescent athletes. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's, you, you've obviously got experience in that. What, what, are, what, are, what are some of the, the myths and evidence-based facts about working with that age group? Uh, I'm not sure I'd classify things as myths as such, but I think there's definitely two extremes that we have to contend with really with young athletes. And one of them is, 
that they're trained too hard, so they're trained as if they're adults. Um, yeah, yeah. But then, actually, adults shouldn't be trained too hard either. Um, yeah. It's a bit of a myth in itself that you know hard training is always good training. Um, yeah. It's not true. Um, and then the other end of the extreme is that they're hardly trained at all, in that they're almost too protected, I think, in that um, they don't get exposed to any stimulus to improve whatsoever. Mm. So, obviously, not they're not adults, but... Um, I don't. I don't subscribe to the idea that that means they shouldn't perform any sort of power or, or speed-based move work in, in sort of some of the long-term athlete development models suggest. Um, in that the, some of the long-term athlete development models sort of because they have periods where strength is um, should be focused on based on their you know the, the peak height development yeah. um, or just their, their point of maturation. Their then people sometimes take that as then up until you've gone through those periods, then, yeah. then speed isn't training like sort of an an old school linear, a long term linear periodization model. Mm. But um, the fact of the matter is, they're just um, they're just biological beings trying to um, adapt to the environment around them. So if you don't send them a stimulus of power and speed, and then that doesn't mean that you know olympic lifting more like heavy weights it means jumping and sprinting mm. if you don't get them to do that often they won't uh, they won't develop into fast powerful athletes which is what we want that's the that's the end game in in rugby it's a speed power based sport um so i think it's really important something that's not done enough is is enough uh, jumps and and just a focus on speed first mm. and then but strength underpins that strength's incredibly important but it's, it underpins that we always have to have the end game in mind and that for me is speed and power. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I I teach an exercise science course, and one of the questions I always get asked by by kids and uh, and parents is uh, strength. It's you know it's kind of like the the autism and uh, uh, immunization myth that you know strength and conditioning uh, stunts growth. Do you ever come across that that one? Um, not so much now. I think definitely not working in wasps. I think the um, <laughs> obviously a lot of the parents are quite keen for their yeah for their, their I know I suppose they believe in the organization enough that we're we're doing what's best for them yeah um, and, and we, there is a focus on um, educating the parents as well in, in some of the processes that we do uh, but I mean I may be in conversations at parties and things like that um, or socially but not so much from parents anymore yeah uh, I think most parents especially in rugby are quite come around to the idea that you know strength is important and I think especially because a lot of them come from schools where rugby is massively popular and even the schools will have a strength and conditioning program now yeah they've, they've moved on and they, they've, they've they, they realize the evidence-based stuff out there yeah yeah all right um so so this age group what are, what are some of the the because they're going to high school they're you know they've got a lot of people pushing and pulling them in all different directions what, what are some of the biggest challenges of working with this age group yeah, I think that exactly. I think when you've got a group of young players, uh, some of them, you know, might not actually want to be professional rugby players, mm. and that's um, and that's fine, and that's something you have to be aware of and and sort of and work out the ones that really do and the ones that really don't, or not really don't, but maybe not so not so bothered, and then um, apply your attention appropriately. So and and it's about trying to get the best out of everyone relative to where they want to be and where they are. So. I think because of that, they can be harder to manage as a group. But in other ways, professional players can be harder to manage as a group as well, having managed both. Mm. Um, I, I I think I see a lot with young coaches that uh, with young players is that they tend to get shouted at a lot, um, yeah. especially in, in gym environments. Um, 
I, it doesn't come natural to me as a coach to be a, a sort of authoritative shout, shout coach, not in the gym anyway. I think mm. shouting is appropriate for conditioning where it's about an element of keeping them going. Mm, yeah. In the gym, I'm a lot more about um, being pretty quiet and paying attention, really. So something I stick to, um, or something, a quote I came across, actually, I, I already had, I already coached in this manner, but I came across a quote that um, sort of demonstrates it quite well from a Lapsu who wrote the Book of Tao. And it was... Um, it's when when the country is ruled by a light hand, the people are simple. But when the country is ruled with a severity, the people are cunning. Yeah. And I find that with young athletes to be quite true, especially when I took over the, yeah. the under 18s, is they were quite unruly. And um, I, I found that you know, the first session they were probably quite well behaved, just because I was a new coach, and yeah. they probably most of them knew that I'd come from the senior team as well. Mm. Um, second session, a little bit more unruly a little bit more um whingy maybe might be the right word <laughs> and then uh third session they were really whingy and like what like you know i said we were doing some conditioning at the end of the session and they're like oh what are we doing what are we? like sort of worried about what we're going to do so i didn't say anything i just let the session go and sort of watched and paid attention to who's the you know who's the loud one who's the mouthy one who's the one that's sort of just getting on with it and keeping their head down mm. and then at the end of the session i took twisted the conditioning really and it was going to be aerobic power so it would have been a little bit more running based but I made it a little bit more uh, work capacity based in that it was just uh, so we did things like lunges uh, bear crawls uh, sumo lunge, uh, sumo squats up a hill and it was just long and continuous so it was a bit of a it was there to create a bit of humility yeah and then uh after they were all finished so when whoever finished I said okay just go wait back inside um we're, we're just gonna have a chat before everyone goes so we literally wait for the first last person to finish so then I got in and I put on the board um, a quote from Seneca and it's excellence with us without adversity and um, I, saw, I asked them what they thought that meant and of, of course the the windiest kid come up with the right answer and um, so he sort of said like, oh, like you know if you're not challenged you don't get better yeah. and it's like yeah exactly so, so then I tried to just instill this this I think a, a very very important lesson in sport and in life probably in that just embracing challenges etc etc um, but then and they, they sort of got the point and then from that I, I never had a problem with them for the whole season really like they, and I didn't have to shout at them ever or you know marshal them around they just got on with it because uh, my my sort of view is that you know if you want to get better, you'll I'm here to help. I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna help bring the best out of you. And if you're not, then I'm not gonna pay too much attention to you. Um, I'm gonna make sure you're doing everything safe. And um, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna force you out into something that you you don't want to be. And then I think that's the the key is to is to find out the ones that sort of do want it but don't know how to bring it out of themselves you yeah. know ones that genuinely they're you know they're, they're interested in other things and that's a that's probably quite a hard thing to get right and maybe maybe you will get wrong i suppose as you as you're going about your way yeah yeah oh, it's a it's a good story and it's a it's a it's a at times definitely a tough age group to to to, to work with but yeah you got them buying in so that's that's awesome um, so you, you mentioned your first session with them. What what would you do with a first in a first session with a new group? Would you are you, are you looking at like evaluating the way they move, looking for for errors, looking for flaws, uh, coaching technique? What what would you be doing there? Yeah, like in terms of the, the program I write, especially with younger athletes, it's going to be very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're looking at basic movement patterns, um, sort of. I think starting again, I usually start with most sessions of skipping, and skipping can tell you a lot about an athlete 
um, in sort of their ankle stiffness and you know how athletic they are just yeah. in just a simple skipping on the spot um, and then we'll do some jumps maybe so skipping itself is you know about short contact time that tells me about their ankle stiffness and then something like a counter movement jump tells me about their ability to produce force or how explosive they are and you can sort of eyeball who's who's explosive who's not uh, getting a bit of an idea like that and then it's just basic movements just your sort of quad dominant lower body which like your squat or mm. or some variation of that uh your posterior chain dominance uh, movement so it might be a romanian deadlift or uh, i like to use with young athletes uh, like a front loaded good morning yeah like hold a dumbbell at the chest and then you use a wall um behind them so sort of teach them how to bring their hips back and then your cues to teach the chest up okay. but then you see through that and then you've got your, your upper body push and your pull and Depending on the age, that might be uh, just that might all be body weight based, and then that's something I think you, you're probably not going to. Depending on how big your group is, you're not going to get a great idea of how everyone moves, but you'll get a good idea of who's the key ones you need to look out for, who's really off the, who, who really needs a lot of work, and then you sort of try and bring them up to speed as quickly as possible. Yeah. Okay. Um, but a lot of it is more about. Uh, like paying attention to the group, as I said, like who's how they act with each other, who they who interacts with who, or how do they interact, and um, who who are going to be the the one the, the challenges, and who are going to be the ones that you can sort of um, create as leaders and, and help you lead the group. Really, yeah, I think that's a lot more important. Really, yeah, absolutely. So you so you're more focused on on things like behaviours and techniques rather than. You know, yeah, urgency uh, to put on muscle mass or anything like uh, that. hundred percent, yeah. yeah. I think, um, like, muscle mass at a young age, muscle mass and strength will open doors to players, of course. You've got, like, every coach wants a big, strong player. But skill is the most important thing at the end of the day. Skill is the most important thing at any level. And yeah. I think that's, especially the, my biggest thing I see wrong with S&C coaches is that, um, it's it's become this profession in itself, so it's almost about validating itself as a profession, and that yeah. strength is the most important thing. And it's it's not; it never will be in any sport, except for powerlifting and Olympic lifting yeah, and, yeah. and strongman, where strength is the most important thing. Or those movements that we do in the gym are the most that's their sport. But in any sport where it's skill based, like rugby, fighting, football, it's um, it's skill, and it always will be. And I think every every coach or whatever part you're focused on needs to appreciate that yeah absolutely oh great um what when you're when you're programming for for this age group what are what are some of the kind of non-negotiables that you'll put into your program that you that you just have to have in there like maybe some you know anything from key lifts to mobility stuff or stability things um what what we always see in your kind of programs for this group yeah i think in terms of actual lifts I wouldn't say that I've got any non-negotiables I think everything's negotiable to a point yeah. uh, I think like movements are non-negotiable you want to include your base movements as I said there as I explained what they were mm. um, and you, you're going to start them off with a young group with as, as basic as of that as you can come up with really and then you're hoping that they can achieve that pretty soon and, and move through um move through in difficulty and then move in difficulty of movement and then move through in um, intensity and load and, and the speed of movement and things like that. Um, but I'm always very, very prepared to change an exercise for an athlete, even at a young age. If they can't perform that exercise well, then sometimes just trying to drill them how to perform the exercise well isn't the right way to go. It's about changing the exercise slightly to a different variation. And then when you bring them back, they might actually be 
better at performing the exercise for example there was um, one of the college teams I worked with alongside Wasps last year there was a guy who couldn't you know he could not squat at all he just didn't have that hadn't worked out that movement mm-hmm. so we didn't we didn't let him back squat for a while we we did like front squats we've done some deadlifts with him and then when we brought him back to back squats he was he was improved enough to the point where we could then coach him in a back squat but before it would you know there was, it would have been a waste of time to keep drilling away at trying to teach him a back squat I think it's you, you let their body find the way through through giving them different challenges which I think probably um, applies to coaching skills in rugby in any sport as well which is a bit of like the Franz Boschy influenced thing I suppose of just various different um, challenges and then the body will find the path it, it, it is most effective for, for that individual yeah, and there's there's got to definitely be a safety issue there too. If you're if you're like everyone must squat no matter what, like yeah, that's it. some kid's gonna try and load the bar up. That's gonna it's gonna be an yeah, issue. exactly. And I think it's the message you send then is that these exercises are the most important thing. And I don't think that's ever the right message to send. I think you should always be trying to reiterate what the what purpose they have, and then that way they actually I find they become a lot more interested in the gym because it's not just this thing it has a purpose towards what the thing they are really interested in mm. in in rugby and if they're if they're playing rugby then they're all going to be interested in rugby in somewhat some will be really interested in the gym and some will hate the gym but if you can put the gym in a context of this is why it's, this is why we do this and this is what effect it can have then i think everyone sort of buys into it a little bit more yeah right um, yeah, so when you're, when you're programming for these guys at this age grade, are you, are you looking at them position-wise and then deciding what the program's going to look, or, or is it a bit more general, or how would yeah, you go about that? Yeah, it's a lot more general. It's a lot more general. I think, yeah, at, at that point, I am, I am looking at differences between forward and backs mm-hmm. and, and differences. So uh, we used uh, variations of jumps all the way through the season, but... Um, Things like that would use with backs about um, for for contact time on the floor, for short contact time on the floor, yeah. and developing that like a tuck jump. I wouldn't use with a lot of the forwards because they were just too heavy and they didn't have control over their bodies to the point where it wasn't it it was safe. Like you know, they're they're a bit clumsy and big and heavy, and some of them are 120 kilograms actually. In the yeah, it's wow. bigger even. <laughs> and um, and if they can't. Um, if they can't hit the floor lightly, then they're doing probably a bit more damage than to their structures than, than good. Uh, but having said that, we had a, I think he was over 120 kilograms and he could do it fine. He was very light footed and it, that was good for him. So he was fine. And again, it's that individual, um, you start with a, a general idea of what you want to do. And then gradually, as you understand the individuals, you can tweak as you go and tweak in the session and tweak based on what they feedback as well. And if they, if they say something hurts or if they say they just don't understand then that's a that's an opportunity for you then to work with that individual and change it um as i as i move towards older play with my, my philosophy we've seen this is very much to work on their strengths and based on their position and their yep. personal strengths as in um, you have anaerobic dominant athletes and aerobic dominant athletes yep. so uh, examples in professional levels would be someone like ashley johnson is a very anaerobic power-based athlete he's yeah. about breaking lines he's never going to be about making 30 tackles a game yeah so you you want to bring his aerobic system up to a point of where it's not a weakness but you really want to make him so he can break more lines and run even faster and be even more impactful like that um, and then you have a james haskell who's as much as big and 
powerful as he looks, and he is powerful, but not on the the scale of an Ashley Johnson powerful and at that end. And at that level, at the older age, it's easier to see those differences. At the younger age, it's harder to to work out who's who's who really. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, James Haskell was about making thirty tackles a game and hitting thirty odd rocks a game, and he's going to be a more effective player when you can take that capacity to four, maybe four or five more tackles a game and be able to repeat that week to week. Um, I think it's like you're not going to turn a marathon runner into a sprinter and, and vice yeah. versa on the extreme. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. What, what kind of, with your academy guys when you were with them, what, what kind of contact time did you have with them? Uh, so we used to have them in Monday nights and then uh, we'd go and see the, the guys that would uh, be listed as... Um, uh, like the the England development players, mm-hmm. so they've been picked out by, sort of put forward by us, and also um, England age grade levels as as ones to watch. So we'd go and then spend extra time with them, and we'd always try to get at least one extra session with those guys a week, and yeah. if not two, extra S and C sessions, and they'd get extra physio support and psychologist support. Um, generally, we'd see them the whole team, the under-18 team, once a week, and then they would program for the rest of their week as well. So they'd expect we do our program at school, um, which would usually be one other session a week. Yeah. And, the, and the amount of work these guys do is unbelievable in terms of rugby training and gym training. It's amazing. Yeah, I think as, as, as the... I think... In, uh, we, we just want to get the best out of the players. So we're in a position where um, we sort of can see maybe with some of the schools we're working with that what they're doing wasn't ideal for us mm. but we had to um, adapt to that and and sometimes just lower what we lower the volumes and intensities that we were going to do because if we didn't they were just going to break yeah, and that's right, yeah. yeah i was going to ask about that is there ever like do you liaise with the schools and 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 say look this is this is what we're doing um yeah know, yeah lots, lots all the time together? and it's always trying to Keep it. That relationship is really important, and the better yeah. that relationship is, the better it is for the player mm-hmm. um, and with the parents as well. That's a yeah, sort of a environment of um, of association that needs to be really strong in order for it to work best for the player. Really. Yeah, absolutely. And what what about like you? You just mentioned the sheer amount of work they do, both physically and and mentally with school and everything like that. How do you, how do you monitor those kind of things? Do you do RPEs and wellness surveys and those kind of things? Or yeah, we used to do questionnaires, and um, and uh, I think because we got better at understanding the full school schedule, so it'd be actually quite on top ta- on top of where they had uh, real heavy periods of lots of games in a short amount of time. Mm. Um, and then it, again, it, the same at the, the professional level. Conversations are the most important thing. Um, yeah. Talking to the players as much as you can, um, and then, then letting them tell you how they feel, letting them tell you what they've been doing. Um, and then the questionnaires are usually just a, a vehicle into opening up that conversation. And that's definitely what it was for us in the seniors. That we had a daily questionnaire, but it was it was about opening up a conversation. And if if they got good scores, we don't need to have a conversation. If they're towards the lower end, then okay, we're going to see what's up. Yeah, and sometimes they're more comfortable answering it on a questionnaire first, and then having the yeah. chat, and then that yeah, of the chat. Yeah, oh, that's good. Um, yeah, just more probably a more general question on strength and conditioning. What what are kind of some of the common common mistakes you're seeing in the in the strength and conditioning kind of community um, at at this at this stage when it when it comes to rugby specifically? Um, as I said before, not there's not enough focus on power and speed, yeah. not enough appreciation of what the end game is. Um, 
I think there's lots and lots of coaches come across that are just taken up with this idea that strength is everything, and it's it's not. It's this. Uh, it's a very important thing, but it's a it's a means to an end. Mm. And um, I think sometimes the problem with strength coaches is sometimes when they come from a background of only strength sports themselves and haven't actually competed in sports, they don't appreciate that that side of it at all. And they can be very caught up in the idea that how important strength is because it's very important to them personally. But they don't then appreciate that it's not actually so important to the sport. And there'll be lots of professional athletes that aren't actually that strong. And yeah. even, um, even ones that you think are really strong that would be really strong in the gym. Um, a friend of mine worked with um, Sonny Bill Williams and he said I can't remember the numbers were specifically but actually as, as as big and as powerful as he is in the game mm. it doesn't actually translate to his, his gym work as in as compared to what some other athletes will who actually aren't as, as powerful in the game so that and that's um, actually coming from wrestling it, it's so obvious to me um, when I first started wrestling I was up against a 6 kilogram guy and he, mm. he like <laughs> so he just beat me beat the shit out of me really and it was like that was very eye opening because I was about 100 kilograms at the time yeah. my strength and my size meant absolutely nothing because he knew um, when exactly to apply force and where and that's the most important thing and that's exactly why guys can be very very powerful in a rugby situation but not in a gym situation and you'll get small guys that have just understood where to put their body and tight and, and and elite sport at any level, and in, in any in any elite sport is about timing and distancing. The absolute best athletes are the ones that understand time and distancing. And Floyd Mayweather's one of my examples of that is that I, I when I, I when called it a little bit when he fought Manny Pacquiao, I didn't think he'd do it as well as he did. But mm. it doesn't matter how fast Manny Pacquiao's hand speed is because Mayweather's timing and distancing was superior. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, something I learned through wrestling, but something also I learned painfully in boxing when I was young too. Like <laughs> bigger guys that I, might, I was a lot faster than hand speed wise, but then they knew when to move out of the way and then you went to throw a punch. Yeah. So I think um, that is that the gym improves your potential to produce power and force and speed, but the like the skill and learning and, and performing speed work because speed is a skill as well and agility work and the rugby specific uh, skills themselves and then wrestling is is how you then understand how to apply that force effectively into what you're trying to achieve yeah well yeah and i think just just listening to that living in north america i see that with uh with the nfl combine there's this obsession with posting big scores and numbers and and you know is that actually transferring onto the field yeah, exactly, and that's become a it's become an entertainment thing in itself. And I think when you see the actual who actually gets picked, it's, it's rarely the guy who's the who's got the best scores. It's the guy who they've been keeping their eye on through college, um, who who's shown himself to be the most skillful, effective player. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just extra information, really. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, okay, so so when if someone was to watch you in the weight room, you mentioned a few things earlier on. Um, what what were kind of the things they'd they'd hear and see if you were running a session? Um, yeah, I've covered probably most of it. I like to answer questions. I like mm. to make sure that the everyone in the gym understands they can come and ask me a question at any time, and I'll I'll, I'll put a lot of effort into making sure they get a good answer. And, um, and most of the time, I, I'm sitting on the side and I'm just watching. And no. I'm trying to pay attention, and then within that, it'll be you'll see someone performing something uh, not quite right, so you tweak or not safely, or um, 
you might they might you might see that they're preparing to go for a lift that's quite heavy for them so you're there to support that and obviously yeah. make sure you're spotting there uh, but yeah like I say most of it is just sitting back and paying attention and, and making sure I, I, I pay attention to the individuals and their personalities as much as I am to the the techniques I see in terms of what's being lifted yeah yeah and just being present yeah, yeah, I think so. Awesome. Okay, um, one one of the things uh, you're you're really moved into, and you mentioned a few times in the interview, is uh, combat conditioning. Can you can you talk a bit about that and the and the crossover with rugby and uh, the importance of that? Yeah, so it's something that I came into maybe by accident in that I when I was in my first year of university, I came over to America and um, I. Uh, I was training at uh, a few different gyms, like high-performance gyms, uh, like DeFranco's and uh, Parisi Speed Schools, Martin Rooney. And um, while I was there, I came across wrestlers who I'd never really seen before and knew anything about. It's just not popular in England at all. Mm. And they were just unbelievably impressive athletes. So when I came back to London, I looked for the nearest wrestling um, class and I started that and sort of just fell in love with it a bit because sort of through the humbling experience of being beat up, realized that it was quite it'd be quite a useful thing to learn and then um i sort of have there was a uh bobby paul Streeton, who was the snc coach of england at the time used to be a wrestler he was a very good wrestler he was in the commonwealth games and um, he'd used a bit with the england squad and it just sort of became a little bit popular around the time i was leaving university or i was in third year at university so uh, i think it probably opened a couple of doors for me in that when I came out of university, I actually had the opportunity to um, intern with Harlequins or Wasps, and um, I got—I was with London Welsh in my third year, and I think it, it was one of those things that stood out on my CV enough that they were interested to, to get an interview. Um, and then while I was at Wasps, my first year as an intern, my first session, actually, that I delivered as an intern, my warm-up, I did a little bit of wrestling, very basic wrestling in the, the end stages of the warm-up, and, um, and then the, the Dan Howes, the SNC coach, uh, sort of asked me to integrate a little bit more into sessions and conditioning sessions and then players would start asking me a little bit more how that could be used for specific techniques and it sort of just evolved organically through conversations with coaches and players um, to where it is now and it, now it's at a point where I actually I've, I've probably gone a bit of a circle in it in that I used to be very very technical with how I used to teach elements of how wrestling can be applied so how wrestling can be applied at a rock and specific points where you can um where someone might be off balance or weak or where someone's strong and whereas now i let them um wrestle a little bit more actually wrestle but it's modified so everything's from the point of view that it's uh, to prevent injury that to keep the risk of injury as low as possible first and that was naturally because of my position as an intern when I started doing it that if I broke anyone I'd be in serious trouble and probably not got a job so um, I was quite keen I didn't want to break anyone so it was modified around that first and then towards more specificity for rugby and so now I've got a spectrum of things that some are quite general and just about teaching general wrestling skills such as um, hip height and and leverage and, and things like that and then some are a lot more specific in that you can see the direct carryover over into rugby situations uh, but yeah I think it's incredibly important and it's it's one of those things I think will 100% become more and more important in rugby it's just that it's not quite clicked yet it's quite popular in rugby league actually yeah, and in right. Australia I think a lot of them have um, wrestling coaches oh, wow. but um, in rugby union it hasn't seemed to catch on too much yet um, but it's probably got more application there because it's more of an open game in that each ruck is an open wrestling type yeah, situation and each more and each um, 
scrum and it's got so, so much and obviously tackles there's so much application but um, it's, I don't think it's just not quite, quite on yet and I think the reason probably is is that the air, the places where rugby is very popular wrestling isn't very popular Yeah. Okay. so it'd be interesting to see what comes from America in that. I had a, a friend who was a coach in America who said they sometimes got he was a coach at, rugby coach at Stanford okay. and he said sometimes the wrestling guys would come and join in rugby and they'd dominate the, the rugby guys and I think and I, I 100% know that if I took a 60 kilogram wrestler down to a professional rugby club he'd dominate 130 kilogram rugby players and most of the things would do wrestling based because they just know when to apply force and where to apply it at the right time yeah and you've you've done uh, you've you've got is, am I right in saying you've got some ebooks and you've done some seminars on, on this yeah so um, I've, uh, I've basically finished writing up most of the ebook it's yeah. I uh, sort of started uh, popularising it a little bit this summer and um, just put the contents page out on Twitter just to sort of get people's ideas on it. I was probably a little bit ambitious in how quick I could finish the whole project there. Yeah. So I sort of was aiming around for now for it to come out, but realistically I think it's probably going to be next spring and that's partly because I've had all sorts of other stuff going on and partly because things just take longer than I expected. Mm. Um, so the ebook will probably realistically be out next spring. This, uh, I'd hope to get some seminars in before then, and then they'll probably carry on all the way through the the summer and leading into the preseason next year. All right. And how, um, how could how could people get get hold of that ebook? Um, so best thing to do for that would be to follow me on Twitter, just yep. as I'll as I'll update when it comes out. Eventually, when it's close to coming out, I'll keep I'll keep everyone updated. As I, I haven't like I, say, I haven't got set dates on that at the moment. Same for the seminars. But uh, my my Twitter handle is at um, Arete underscore perform. So A R E T E underscore perform. Um, and yeah, and that's probably the best way to keep up with with all that sort of stuff. Okay, perfect. Well, that leads me to uh, your your other side project, the Arete Performance uh, Center. What what's it, what's the origin of that? I, I, I did a quick Google search, and it's either a jagged mountaintop or green for excellence. Uh, so <laughs> there you go. I'm saying the latter. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what, it. What's uh, what's the origin of of this, and uh, and and how's that going for you? Yeah, so that like a retail concept was a word I came across probably maybe seven eight years ago. I was yep. reading a book in university and it just had this word in, so I just looked it up and um, I, I happened to find the excellence version of the description before the mountaintop <laughs> one, and I just uh, it just connected with me. I think it, it was just it was um, I mean it, it basically means excellence or to reach your highest potential, and I just think um, I've realised recently that probably a lot of my interests have, were. Um, first started off from an interest in Bruce Lee when I was young yeah, right. and uh, you know his interest in training but then actually his philosophy he was interested he used to read a guy called Jiddu uh, Krishnamurti okay. and I started reading him when I was quite young but now I read a lot of philosophy and that probably stemmed from that so uh, but Bruce Lee's a lot of Bruce Lee's uh, philosophies were around that reaching the, being becoming the best of your potential so I think that was probably this underlying idea I had in my head that when I, I came across it as a word I just I liked it so I sort of clung, clung on to that and um yeah, so that sort of became my my personal company that I operated under um, through throughout university and and since becoming a, a professional coach as well. I've always I've always done bits of coaching on the side with other teams and um, and then there's the personal training side of it, which I've always done. I've done also. So there's the sports performance side of it and there's the personal training side of it, and um, they're quite they're quite different really. They're, because the the personal training is. 
it, you know, I've worked with any like all the sort of sixty-five-year-old women who um, just want to train to feel a little bit stronger, and then there's middle-aged men who want to completely transform their body from um, just to you know build muscle, lose fat, and yeah. uh, the the principles I use for personal training are probably very similar to the principles that apply for professional athletes and that it all comes down to uh, stimulus and adaptation for me you've got to find the relevant stimulus to promote the appropriate adaptation but the the difference with personal training is that um there's a they just generally need to build muscle and they generally need to lose fat and there's a million different ways to do that but with sport there's a, a specific outcome you're looking to achieve and also with higher level athletes you need to apply a higher level of stimulus so it's just understanding how that all all ties together um so yeah, that's that's in the process of building at the moment as well. Oh, cool, cool. Okay, well, we we always end the show with uh, four questions about um, players and coaches. Um, when when you were a kid growing up, uh, who who was your your favourite rugby player? Uh, definitely Johnny Wilkinson. Yeah, <laughs> I um, I used to go and do my kicking um, over the field near my house, and yep. I'd, I'd spend hours and hours inspired by him. Doing, did you have uh, the hands held up tight like he does? And no, I had. Um, I was. I was also from a younger age. I was influenced. Uh, I was a big fan of David Beckham in football. So, my my kicking posture probably um, actually uh, mimicked his free kick posture more than it did Johnny Wilkinson. So, it was sort of amalgamation of my, my two heroes. Yeah, uh, he's, uh, his uh, his autobiography is amazing. I don't know if you've read it or not, but um, I've read his first one. I've actually got it here looking at me. The the the, the white one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I haven't read it. I read the first one that was with um, Steve Black, and it was talking about um, Buddhism and quantum physics. And right, right. No, I, I can't remember if that was his autobiography or no. if it was just a book about that. But that was really cool. But I've got this one. I haven't actually read it. It's just called Johnny, right? Uh, yeah, that's yeah. the one I've got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a beauty. And uh, just the, the amount of work that went into his kicking, it's it's, yeah. it's unbelievable. Oh, he's a very, very interesting guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and even even though he crushed our hearts in the World Cup, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 him. Him. I just think he's amazing. Yeah, he's fantastic. What he, what he went on to do in Toulon was was incredible. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and uh, current rugby players. Who, who's your who's your favourite current professional rugby players going around? Uh, probably Richie McCaw, and yep. um, I think it's again tied to that ideal of mastery and excellence, and mm. and just appreciating it when you see it. And he's just you know he's been. A, He's most cat now, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. All black, and um, he's a fantastic player. And the story that actually come from uh, the book, um, what's the all black book called? Legacy. Yeah, Legacy. Yeah, um, we had a talk with the guy who um, who wrote that at Wasps, and he told the story of Richie McCaw and how he wrote down his goal to become the best all black or, or one of the best players. And it's just an uh, amazing to hear that story when someone has actually achieved what they set out to yeah. do. I think it's very inspiring. Yeah. But also the way he plays the game is fantastic. He's a brilliant player. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Dan Carter was one of the, my the players I loved when I was young, and you know he's still there. He's doing it and. Be good, maybe to see the last of him in this World Cup. So, so you're jumping, um, you're jumping on the winners, eh? You're like, the yeah, World Cup winners, just, Johnny Wilkinson, yeah. and then when the All Blacks start going, yeah, well, uh, boring love win. winners, and <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely. I think to be honest, it is that I, I think uh, I do have an appreciation of this ideal of excellence. I think yeah. it's amazing when you yeah. see it. I think we all appreciate it when we see it, and you know, Absolutely. it's always good to watch. Yeah, for sure. And okay, well, what, what about rugby coaches? Who are who are some of the the kind of high-end, kind of professional rugby coaches that you've you've come across, or you you watch from a distance that you you like what they're doing. 
Yes, one that I range popped up a lot in conversations with other coaches and and guys that I think worked with him as well is uh, Wayne Smith. Yeah. With the All, uh, he's not with the All Blacks, he's with the Chiefs now, isn't he? Yep. He was with the All Blacks. And yep. um, some of his methods, just again, that is this his methods he sort of has around developing not just skill but the, the way the players think and um, I heard a story about how he placed um, he had put sort of like a war chart um, on a table but it was a pitch with players mm-hmm. and then he'd set out different um, situations and then he'd bring like key decision makers in and just ask them questions and he'd say like um, okay so uh, what, what would you do in this situation and then the player would go to answer go no, no, no go, go away think about it and come back and then they'd come back give them an answer and then he'd go okay what about if this happened and he's always making them and I don't know if that story is true mm. but um, I mean that's the story I think I heard about him and that sort of yeah, made me think cool. that's, that's a sort of cool coach yeah. but um, Joe Schmidt too I've, I've read uh, a few articles about his methods and I know he was a teacher I think and it seems yep. that uh, the teachers make the best coaches yep. it's good for you yeah yeah so um, <laughs> and you know like like Graham Henry is another example of that yeah, absolutely um, yeah but when I've been in the England camp actually Stuart Lancaster is really impressed me his his focus on culture and, and mm. I've got a chance to be there a few times over a space of a couple of years and just seeing how that progressed was really impressive and um, you know, I wouldn't be too surprised if they, they sort of pulled out of the bag this World Cup because of that, because there's an underlying um, culture there that's quite strong. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and then all the coaches within that as well, fantastic coaches, being able to see them coach live, Andy Farrell, Graham Roundtree, Mike Cat, all yeah. brilliant coaches. Uh, it's, a good, it's a good team, and you're, you're actually the third guest who's mentioned uh, Stuart Lancaster, and yeah, oh, I'm, a, I'm a fan too, like I'm obviously on the outside looking in, but just you can see a clear cultural change from from yeah. the last World Cup cycle to, to, well, he, to now. He put me on to as well to a lot of the coaching, actual rug, like not uh, rugby coaching, but coaching books that I've read, like uh, Bill Walsh's um, School Will Take Care of Itself. Um, what, was he, that, what was that one? Uh, the School Will Take Care of Itself by Bill Walsh. Okay, yep, yep. He was the Stanford um, yeah, yeah. Uh, 49ers coach. Okay. If, uh, yeah, 49ers, I think. I knew he was in um, football, yeah. And it's... Um, a fantastic book, but um, Stuart Lancaster mentioned um, in a meeting once that it was his uh, like coaching bible, so I thought that's probably worth a buy. Yeah, I'll check that and, out. And uh, that's definitely worth a try. And then that sort of led me on to um, one by Pete Carroll called Win Forever, which is probably yeah, even better. Yeah. Um, and uh, and the fact of the amazing thing about that one is that he um, he wrote that book in his first season with the Seahawks, and then that following season they won the. Um, they won the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. So he laid out his whole method, his whole culture, everything he believed in, and then just put it into practice. Yeah, pretty it. impressive. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Cool. Okay. And what about uh, what about some people who are kind of chipping away in the trenches, doing doing the hard work, and uh, need, would would be good to get a mention? Yeah. Like in terms of rugby uh, coaches, I don't. I've not because probably I'm not in that world as such as I'm not researching a lot of young up and coming rugby coaches. Mm-hmm. But the coaches I've had a chance to work with uh, within the academy, I think all fantastic coaches and great time working with them. So Matt Davies who, who headed up, James Honeyburn, um, Matt Williams, all great coaches. I really enjoyed working with them. Yeah. Um, then from an SNC standpoint, there's loads, loads of great SNC coaches I've had the chance to work with. Um, Keir Wenham Flat, who I believe are you getting him on? You, yeah, he's coming on the show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Keir of um, rugbystrengthcoach.com, he's yeah, a great coach. Uh, Simon Nainby, who was one of uh, his underground athletics. Yeah, he'll be coming on too. Yeah. 
yeah, he's um, he's someone who actually was one of the first people who influenced me around SNC. You know, he's oh, he was he was showing me the way when I was young. Also, uh, Sam Portland, I worked with at Wasps. Um, he's a great coach, and Connor Brown, who's currently with Essex Cricket, and Ryan Hicks as well. We head up the academy. All, all fantastic coaches. Oh, great! That's good. Oh, that's that's good to hear, and good they're doing good stuff. All right, well. Uh, Appreciate your time and uh, no worries. Thank you for having me. No, no problems. And uh, thanks for joining us. I think it's uh, there's going to be a lot of lot of good stuff out there um, for for listeners because I think a lot of listeners will be age grade coaches and quite often um, they're doing the strength and conditioning advice too and maybe they they need a bit of guidance there. So I think you would have helped them out a lot. Yeah, hopefully. And um, yeah, and and, and feel free to shoot me an email or message on Twitter. I like. I like conversations about training and it's always stimulating and it's always good to talk to other coaches as well. That's great. I appreciate that. Yeah. And all right, beauty. And thanks thanks again for joining us. No problem. Thanks. All man. right. Cheers, Tom. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at RugbyCoachSCNR or via the website at TheRugbyCoachesCorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.